0: Hello, He's in
1: there. Um, thanks for joining me. Um, in can you what is your job title and in seven words what is your job function?
0: Well, currently my job t- title is a medical student. <laughs> um, hopefully resident very soon. Um, my job description is Learning evidence-based medicine through experience. That's six.
1: That's excellent, nonetheless. (laughs) Through experience, I was just going to say, I thought you were going to say helping people not die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, like, I'm very much in the periphery of helping people not die. So it's just like me following people to see how they keep people from dying. Gotcha. You know what I'm saying?
1: (laughs) Okay. So how how do you so what is your day like like how do you spend how do you spend your time when you, especially when you're clocked in?
0: Um. So I'm in my last year of medical school. Every year of medical school is slightly different in um kind of the setup. The first two years mostly in the classroom and listening to PowerPoint presentations and lectures, the same way you do in undergrad. Um, but third and fourth year are more clinical. So right now I'm doing my surgery rotation. So. I wake up at like 4.45 um, and I get to the hospital about 5.15 and I pre-round and pre-rounding is seeing your patients before um, the more senior people in the team. See your patient just in case something crazy overnight went down so they can prepare and really to talk about it. Um, And then I round with my entire team at six and then from like 7.30 to four, depending on the day, I'm in the OR um, going through different cases. Um, and then we round again in the afternoon to make sure nobody got hurt during the day. And then I go home. Um, so (laughs) that's pretty much my day right now. Um, and then when I get home, we have these things at the end of every block called shelves. They're the tests to see if you learned what you were supposed to learn during that rotation. Um, so I go home and study for that. And so how
1: many rotations do you end up doing total?
0: Um, so you're, the goal of third year, right now I'm doing surgery because I'm making up for it. In theory, I should have done this rotation last year, but it got interrupted because of COVID. Um, but in theory, you do a rotation, in all the core specialties. So there's adult medicine, pediatric medicine, psychiatry, neurology, um, surgery. I think that's, that's all of them. And we also do emergency medicine here and anesthesiology. Um I think and those two, two are separate different. ones. Yeah. Um and it, i think the anesthesia and emergency medicine depends on your institution. Um, but I think those are mostly the core rotations that we do. And OBGYN. I was like, I'm forgetting something. Yeah, and OBGYN is one of the core. Wow.
1: How did you That was that did you was that important to know when you were applying to med schools?
0: Um the fact that we would have all these rotations towards the end
1: or that like what, which rotations would be available
0: for you to do? Um, I think, I think I did know at some point that I would during medical school be exposed to all the specialties. Um, I think I just assumed that would be the case because in my head I was like, how else am I supposed to decide what specialty I'm going to go into? Um, I think a lot of the time people when you're applying to medical school ask you what specialty you're going into but I think that's super abstract you have no idea what being an adult medicine doctor means versus like a pediatric versus surgery um and so I I knew going into medical school that at some point I would have these rotations so it's not something that I really thought about that deeply um so yeah
1: what exactly like what is adult medicine
0: so adult medicine is very broad but like basically if Anyone over the age of eighteen, give or take, get goes into the hospital, and it's not something related to surgery. You get put under adult medicine, um, and generally, adult medicine is like who you go to for your checkups, um, and they're also the people who um, handle your care when you're hospitalized for long periods of time. What is um, so basically medicine? anything that okay. deals with eighteen on uh, internal medicine is adult medicine. I just don't say internal medicine because people are like, what does that mean? Internal medicine is just adult medicine. Um, so, so they take care of everything from 18 to death. Yeah.
1: Mm, I did not know that either. This is actually yes. the first time I'm hearing the term adult medicine,
0: which is such a broad range. Yeah, internal medicine is what I mean. Um, mm. So it, it's just super broad. It's literally everything from 18 to death, which is wild to think about. There's like one specialty that handles all of that um but most people a lot of people end up sub specializing within internal medicine so within internal medicine you can go into rheumatology hematology cardiology like there, there, after you finish that residency you can sub-specialize into a, a particular part of internal medicine
1: because mm, i was just gonna ask like i didn't hear you say sort of other kind of common doctor positions like dermatology, dentistry, <laughs> plastic, surgery, like plastics, right? And like, so where would that fit in on the uh, on the sort of main bucket spectrum?
0: Well, dentists go to dental school, unless I think, unless you want to be an oral surgeon, then I think you have mm-hmm. to do some part of medical school. I'm not all the way clear on um, what they do uh dermatology is its own specialty um you don't really get exposure to dermatology in medical school until unless you actively know you want to be a dermatologist that's one of the specialties where you have to go out of your way and know pretty early on that's something that's on your mind um otherwise you won't be really be exposed to it um what was the other one you asked about plastics plastics um i think with plastics you can um go directly into plastics or you can go into general surgery and then go into a fellowship for plastics. I'm not sure about that one, but plastics are very fancy people. Um, Again, it's one of those things like you'll be exposed to surgery generally, But any subspecialty of surgery, you have to more actively seek out mentorship and seek out experiences to see if that's what you want to do. So medical school will kind of give you like a broad stroke of everything, but you have to be pretty active in figuring out the nitty gritty of what you want to do.
1: How easy is that, right? So it's like you get the wide survey. And so like what, how easy is it to like, learn about everything like all your possibilities and then in terms of like just knowing that they exist and then also sort of getting the resources to then know how to do it or learn about know how to do it
0: it's i it's very hard and i think um that is where i've seen having a parent in medicine make the biggest of differences um 'Cause if you think about it, first two years, you're like in the classroom, you're working really hard trying to get everything really down packed via lectures, which isn't amazing. But like you're really working really hard to really understand the foundations of medicine. So sometimes it feels like do I have time to take extra two hours to go shadow this dermatologist or shadow this opt ophthalmologist? You know what I'm saying? Like you actively have to take your personal time the first two years to figure that stuff out. Um and that could mean like using up your summer. I, I use my summer between first and second year to shadow um, because it's technically the summer that you do research. And I was like, if if I don't do it now, it's not going to happen. Um, and by the time you get to third year, your days are long during third year because they're mimicking, they're tr- attempting to mimic the hours of a resident, which is basically like five, six, seven, a.m. depending on the specialty up until like five, and then you have to go out and study. Um, so I think it, it I, it is really hard to, um, know or make time to go seek out those experiences. Um, and then there's the other end of knowing how to do that. Right. Um, I feel like my friends who had parents in medicine, like knew what ophthalmology was. Like I, I was like ophthalmology versus optometrist. Like, I don't know what the difference is, but there is a difference. And like, ophthalmologists make a lot of money and they have a really good lifestyle. So it's one of those things, if you know, really early on, that's something that you want to do. It's really to your benefit. Um, There are a whole bunch of specialties I didn't know existed. So therefore, if I don't know how, if it exists, how do I know how, who to shadow and how to get that experience? Um, So I think it, you have to take advantage of your advisors in medical school, which I think most medical schools do a really good job at setting you up with their advisor Um, and, um, if you are a black student or uh, some type of minority, there are minority groups. And I think it's, um, or underrepresented groups. And I think it's important to tap into that because the upperclassmen know what that means. Like when I talk to a first year now, I'm like, Hey, what are you thinking? Just like, tell me broad strokes. And like, to me, you don't have to make a commitment to me. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me, but like, I try to be like, Hey, if you are even thinking about it, this is what you do. And this is how you get there. Um, and I think, upperclassmen particularly in medical school are are really big assets because they know how at this point how to navigate things in ways that you don't
1: sure what is and like what's the background of a typical advisor like is it a like is that person also a doctor is it just like like yeah who like who's an advisor why would you go to them for information
0: um i don't know if this is the case for all medical schools but my medical school um, you're you're assigned to an advisor that is a doctor. Um, it's not necessarily a doctor within the field that you're thinking of. It's just a doctor who is in the administration. Um, and my medical school also has a center for multicultural cultural affairs. Um, some of them have MDs, some of them don't. But even the ones that don't have MDs have been in were in the medical school for so long that they they have figured a lot of it out and know how to navigate it that way. And I've created these, these relationships that you can use. Uh, so actually one of the people that I'm, I'm closest to, I think she has an MPH and a PhD, but not an MD. Uh, but she's been here for so long and she's made connections with all the black female doctors that it's incredible. Like you tell her like, oh, I'm thinking of, insert, whatever, and she knows exactly who to contact. So it's like, you don't... It's it's great to have an MD, because obviously they went through it, but also, you can have someone who doesn't have an MD that's great. A great tool to help navigate through this experience.
1: And technically, like, an MPH, a PhD, like, those are, like... You might
0: as well. <laughs>
1: right, I'm like, like what, come on, sis. what
0: else did you do
1: but besides hold the scalpel? Like, you did everything else, like...
0: Exactly. Wow.
1: She's amazing. Um, so how did you decide what is an ophthalmologist though by the way <laughs>
0: <laughs> so like when you go get your eyes checked at the eye doctor that's an optometrist an ophthalmologist is a surgeon so they could take cataracts out they, they like actually operate on the eyeball which is actually dope if you're into like microsurgery in like small spaces um there was this one there was this one surgery for some reason she couldn't this was first year, so I had no idea what was happening. But for some reason, the patient couldn't close her eyelid. And so they had to like sew the eyelids shut. But she didn't have, something was wrong where they had to take a graft or like a piece of skin from like a side of her head and sew it onto her eye. It was weird. It was some wild stuff. But um ophthalmologists are pretty cool. Um And everyone really cares about their eyesight, obviously. Um So yeah, that that's the difference between an optometrist. The optometrist like, can tell you you have glaucoma, but the ophthalmologist will do something with that. If that makes sense,
1: sure. It's like the first sort of pass at information. And if you want to know, like where the where the right. white <laughs> white bits are in your eye that's causing these problems, like yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Wow, very intense. They use a lot of. Cause I think my mother saw one, and it was like very intense.
0: It is very it's it was a very good dude,
1: but very like I was like I mean they were very nice people but it's like the equipment that they had what they were talking about I was like oh. mm-hmm. so, they have
0: a lot of gadgets it's cool a lot
1: <laughs> So like why I was particularly interested in talking to you is like I mean even when I was a kid I was like I'm going to be a doctor then I took AP bio and I was like <laughs> If I need to know this, I'm out. There's no saving me. <laughs> you describing like what some of the things that you've seen in this conversation. I'm grimacing. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so talk, to, talk to me about why you're different. Like, what, like, what, what made you say? Because there, I feel like right, it's like, oh, I'm gonna be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. When you're mm-hmm. asking kids in like early education um mm-hmm. but you persisted or did you know that that was for you like talk about your journey to now being like okay cuz it seems like a lot like you still in school <laughs> i am
0: i really am still in school it is crazy um i am by no means the person who in kindergarten was like i want to grow up to be a doctor like it w- that was not my thing i actually did it decide to to go into medicine until sophomore year of college, and even then, I was a little iffy on it. Um, I think when I was a kid, if you asked me what I want to do, honestly, I jump between firefighter and teacher. And like having Haitian parents, I don't know how they let me get away with firefighter. I, my mom they was just like, benefits. "Whatever." She don't know what she's talking about. What's up? <laughs> they got good benefits, I think. <laughs> they do have good benefits, but um, I also think they're super dope. Whenever I pass by a firehouse, I get excited. Um, but anyway, I think, um, I I was like okay with science. Like I I didn't love science, but I was I was decent at it. I really liked math personally, um, and I uh, in high school really didn't have much direction. I was like, ah, uh, I don't know. I don't think I want to be a lawyer. I don't like to read um that much at least um but I just I don't don't know I thought because of science doctorhood was in the back of my mind but it wasn't an active decision and so then when I got to college I was like "Mm, doctor is in the back of my mind but here's something that I know that I I enjoy and that is understanding behavior um and understanding why people think they to do and how that impacts their actions so I decided to be a neuroscience and behavior major. And at Wesleyan, the nice thing is that so much of the pre-med requisites overlap with neuroscience. So I was like, that way I'm getting a bang for my buck. Um, and that way, even if I do decide I am i don't like medicine, at least I chose a major that I know I, know I enjoy. Um, and then I think it was the summer after... Freshman year, I shadowed OBGYNs. and it wasn't something that like I actively chose. It was like Prep was like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And I was like, mm, "Okay." <laughs> um, and it's a program that kind of helps you into quote unquote elite schools in the Northeast. Um, and after you graduate from those elite high schools, they kind of help you get to college and help you with career preparation. But anyway, um, that summer I was placed in an OBGYN office and my mind was blown. Like the first time I saw um, natural birth, my mind was blown and not in a disgusting way that I thought it was gonna be. It was like, it was so beautiful to me that I almost cried. Cause it's like, there, it's the first time you see childbirth to me, it's like unfathomable that this baby came into existence and was able to go through all these changes in utero and come out and be able to breathe and function and grow up to be an adult and the other amazing part of that is the fact that that mother in like a day or two will be able to walk around and in six weeks her vagina will look pretty normal like it doesn't look like it went through this traumatic experience like it, it's pretty normal and for me it's like for the bodies to be able to do that was my, like amazing to me and I think that is when I like started taking the idea of becoming a doctor more seriously um After I graduated from college, I knew I needed time off. And then also my mom passed away. So I was like, I really need time off. So I took two years off to work in something completely unrelated to medicine, which was the educational nonprofit prep for prep. Um, And then I was like, it's time for me to go back to school. And I made a pact with Jesus. And I was like, (laughs) if I get into med school, I will go and I will take it very seriously. And then I ended up getting into medical school. Um, but all that to say, yeah. it's like, it was not something that I was born... I didn't say... I wasn't born wanting to be a doctor. It's it's just been a collection of experiences that have um, sort of gotten me here. Sure.
1: And so, you. it sounds like you're doing... It's a lot of long hours, right? Even just in the schooling of it. And so, beyond your pack with Jesus, like, what motivates <laughs> you in your work? Because it sounds
0: grueling in a lot of respects. Um, I think and I when people ask me if they go into medicine, if they should go into medicine, my answer is like you have to genuinely enjoy people, like enjoy meeting people, talking to people and genuinely enjoy helping people. Um and I think part of my motivation comes from my mom was sick for a lot of my life and seeing her interaction with medicine and seeing what good medicine can do versus bad medicine can do has really influenced my actions. Um, and so whenever I enter the room with a patient, I think about like, how can I make this patient's life a little easier and make whatever, like illness impacts every part of your life. And how can I make them being here a little less miserable? Um, and I think enjoying that makes that five to five feel so much faster than doing something I don't enjoy. Uh, And that wasn't the case for all my specialties. Like I work really long hours for OB, like for my sub internship rotation, I work six to seven every day. And that went like this for me. 6 a.m. to 7
1: p.m.?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And that went really fast for me versus like pediatrics, which was a much more laid back rotation. I think it was like something like eight to four. I hated it and the days felt long as fuck like I just don't I don't do pees. I don't like wellness checks I don't care if the baby poop like it's just not for me and so the days went really long so I think it's like I found something that I genuinely enjoy and so therefore my days go by faster and I'm not as tired at the end and even if I am tired it feels worth it
1: interesting so what was and so you mentioned sort of like OBGYN felt good for you when you were in it so is that gonna be your specialty
0: like at what point do you have to decide like this is my route um so you have to decide by the end of third year because at the end of third year that's when you start applying into residency programs um so that's why third year you're supposed to get all of your core rotations out of the way it's because that's what's supposed to help you make that decision um and prepare you for taking care of a whole human being when you get to residency Um, I, because most of my, um, experience with medicine before medical school was in OBGYN, I went into medical school very open-minded because I was like, I don't want to be so tunnel vision and OBGYN that I can't enjoy the other things. Um, so that's why I shadowed all this, as many specialties as I could. And when I entered the clinical phase of my education, which was third year, I approach every rotation is like, okay, I'm gonna try to enjoy this. I didn't. Like I didn't like peas. <laughs> I didn't like neurology. Adult medicine was actually okay for me. Um but um I adult medicine is sometimes it feels like you you can't do a lot. Um like I can tell you to take your diabetes medication every day, but until you take it there's nothing I can really do. You know, and I thought I and some people are very um motivated by that like They want to motivate patients to take their high blood pressure medication and take a diabetes medication. But personally, that's not very fulfilling for me. Um, What I do like about OBGYN though, is that there's a a combination of primary care. Like you get to take care of an entire woman um, basically from puberty up until death and their organs just like fall out of their bodies. Um, And you get to like, do procedures like I get to learn how to do a c-section and you get to learn how to do a hysterectomy so it's like the best of both worlds for me where I get to take care of a holistic human being while being able to use my hands and like get shit done um, which was important to me
1: wow so you like the idea of really putting your hands on people in a medical way
0: (laughs) I love it which is why like I'm actually even though I'm not going into surgery I'm actually loving this rotation like Yesterday, I got to help take out an appendix, and I was like, this is dope. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't complain about that. Um, I, at some point, my hands are going to yank a baby out of somebody's vagina. Like, that's dope. You, you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm very excited. <laughs> Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Um, thank you. Do you seem very passionate about this, which is excellent. I think it's important, and it speaks to your point of earlier, like, you want a doctor who wants to be there. Where You want a you want medical team that wants to be there versus just the people that you could tell it's like checking a box, doing a job, like reading a chart and moving on. Like, And it's like, um, hello, I need some comfort. I'm in distress.
0: <laughs> this it's real. And like, now that I'm in, I feel like before medical school, I was like, oh, how can people be so mean? Like, they're such terrible doctors now. But like, I kind of... I, I think I understand burnout a lot more than before I started medical school. Not to make excuses for doctors who aren't particularly empathetic because that's a skill that everyone should learn. But I think I, I understand it a little bit more now that I'm at this on this end. Interesting. Okay.
1: So you mentioned that um, after your first year or in the summer after your first year you shadowed an OBGYN. What did you do for the other summers? Is it important to, kind of like, are summers a break or are they like continuing education
0: experience? Well, but the, I shadowed my the first year after my my freshman year of, of college. Oh,
1: undergrad. Okay. I didn't
0: even bother shadowing OBGYNs when I was in med school because like I already knew what that was. Like I was just like, that's out of the way. Not going to bother with that. Um, I shadowed a dermatologist hour four I was like Mm-mm, this is not for me <laughs> it was a hard no for me I Why? shall would. um because I don't I don't find skin interesting like skin is either there and it's fine and I'm like okay that's not that interesting or it's disgusting and like it's coming out of it And I'm like I don't want this like I'm cool granted they have a great lifestyle Dermatologists live like a, a pretty decent life but it's just it wouldn't be worth it to me like I just I couldn't do it um I shadowed general surgery I shadowed ophthalmology I shadowed ENT which is eyes nose and throat um and those are all great fine experiences um the summer between your first and second year is the only true free time that you have in theory that's the summer that you do research but it's the only the only time in medical school that's not really planned out for you um And every school kind of the the school year is kind of different curriculum is different. But my school, the first year is all in the classroom. The summer after that is research, the second year in the classroom. And at the end of the second year, you take your first boards, which is called step one. Um, And then basically for me, the week after I took step one, I started third year and then at the end of third year I took step two and then once I finished step two I started fourth year so it was just like it kind of just starts to roll and there's really not a break after the summer after first year wow That's yeah. a,
1: so how do you like what is your what is your energy routine then like what? Like how do you recharge in the small and big in like the short term and like in sort of like a more sustained way because it doesn't sound like you're able to take a vacation for real
0: Yeah, Um, I think for me, I've made, I've tried to make weekends very sacred to me. Um, I try my best to get everything I need to get done before Friday night, like between Monday morning, Friday night, like that's work. And then after Friday night, I really try not to do anything related to medicine. Um, And sometimes that means that I I have missed out on certain opportunities because we, for our school we have like a clinic that runs on Saturday that student run and like that's something that I would have loved to partake in but like I made a decision for myself that like I I just need my weekends um to see my friends to just lay around to watch tv um and to exercise to walk in the park whatever it is outside of medicine like for me I need a clean break like this is when I'm not doing anything related to medicine in order for me to be able to go back on Monday and be okay um that's different for every every student um I think that's how I've been able to get through it.
1: Mom. Is it... Do a lot... Do you find that a lot of your peers have an external life?
0: Mm, I think so. Uh, a lot of my peers are, like, in really amazing relationships. A lot of my peers have found hobbies. Like, one of my friends is really into languages. And so when he isn't working, he's, like, learning a lo- another language. He's, like, actually very fluent in a lot of things. It's confusing to me. Um, some of my f- peers are really into certain exercises, some dance. I also think some years, are, it's a little easier for you to have those hobbies. Um, first and second year, you should absolutely have a hobby. Like, when you're not studying, go do your thing, go dance or whatever it is. Third year gets a little hard because you're With each rotation, your hours change and your responsibilities change. And fourth year, again, you can start to have those hobbies again. Um, But I I, want to say that most of my classmates have, they are a person outside of medical school, which is like refreshing to see. Um, I think medical schools now are really actively trying to recruit people that aren't so... I just want to be a doctor and that's the only thing that matters in my life. Like they're really trying to get people who are whole human beings because whole human beings are better at taking better at taking care of whole human beings, you know what I'm saying?
1: Well, wow, that's an interesting point. So, can you talk a bit about that or talk about that application process? Like so you said you took a year off and it sounds like that sort of even taking a year off like I was thinking about taking a year off from what? So <laughs> is it the pursuit of doctorhood? Is it like, or just like active sort of sciencey work? Like mm-hmm. what, and so how do you define like, took a year, like took two years off from what exactly? And like, right, the
0: process of like applications, like that whole thing. Um. So I was very lucky in that, uh I took my MCAT while I was in undergrad, and I had finished all of my pre-med requirements in undergrad. So the moment I graduated, I did not touch science <laughs> until I went back to medical school, except for the part where I had to apply. So I took one year off where I did not think about medical school, but applying to medical school takes a whole year. So that second year I had off, I was actively applying to get into school. Um I think... Applications are due sometime in June and July. Um, and it's kind of like the common app. You get, you, you send one application out to all the schools. And then schools can invite you to um, submit what is called a secondary. And the secondary is more specific to every school and it's their own specific prompt. Usually it's like, tell me something that's specific about yourself, or it's something very specific, like, tell me about a time you've been challenged, something like that. Um, And so you send that to all those schools. And I think that's around July, August. Um, And then I think the rest of that fall is usually fall to like January, February is interview season. Um, And you kind of fly around the country. Um, I'll go into the costs later. And then you fly around the country. um, And then I think around March, April, May, one of those spring months, you start to figure out what schools you get into it's a rolling basis and then on may something you decide what school you're going to go to so basically the process goes almost from june all the way to like may um it's a really long process um medical applying to medical school unfortunately is too expensive but i feel like most things in medical school are too expensive um i think for each school was there's like a price for the the first 10 and then each additional school costs more money but in reality, people don't apply to 10 medical schools. They apply to like 40. It's like, it's it's an expense. And every secondary has its own price attached to it. And then on top of that, you're paying to fly around the country to go to all of these medical schools, because it's not like people only apply to medical school in New York City. Like you really cast a wide net because you don't, getting into medical school might be the hardest part about becoming a doctor. It's the most like rate limiting part. So, people cast a really wide net and it's so expensive. It is so expensive to apply to medical school. I can't say that enough. Um, which I think is really unfortunate because that shouldn't be the barrier to people becoming doctors.
1: So, how... Okay. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really spun. Um, how do you decide which medical schools to get into? Do... Are... Yeah, no, not which ones to get... Okay, sorry. Let's back up. So, you apply to one school, or you apply to a school. Mm-hmm. The next step is the supplemental. So, like, mm-hmm. if you don't get invited to a supplement, does that mean you're automatically rejected?
0: Yes, that's automatic, no. But I think... I don't know if it's that hard to get a supplemental, to be very honest with you, because from a medical school perspective, perspective there's no reason not to give someone a supplemental because that's an extra $50 but I don't know how it works don't count on me for that one but it's just like I don't think I think supplemental must be something based on like your MCAT store it's something based on something very superficial is my gist because the the quickness which it comes I'm just like this yeah but whatever that's the secondary so
1: how many did you actually end up applying to med schools
0: so when I tell you I have erased this um, from my memory, I actually really can't remember, but it's something well over 20. I promise it's something well over 20. And when I started getting the secondaries, exhausting. You'll get out I, because I, I had a full time job. So I get these these secondaries and they're due within a week with the, they send it to you. Um, so on Saturdays, I would like wake up and just bust out supplements, bust out secondaries, because that was the only time of the week that I could get it done. Um, and then I, I can't remember how many interviews I got, but at some point I stopped going to them. Cause I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. At some, I applied to two schools in Chicago. I went to one of them cause I got an interview. I came home and I literally landed and got an interview for another school in Chicago. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> it's too much. So
1: how do you, right. So, but then like, right. Okay. So talk to me about then how you decide which med schools you're applying to. And then also, like, right as you recognize, oh, wow, the expectations are building, are increasing in this application process. Like, what was the process for you to whittle that down to be like, this is this is a yay, this is not worth it, I'm out here, like?
0: Yeah. I think for me, my MCAT score was like, meh. But like everything else in my application it was good. So like I. What else is in
1: the application? So it's the. Um,
0: there's your MCAT score. I had your GPA, all the extracurricular things that you did in college, um, and I knew I had pretty good letters of recommendation. Um, I I was pretty confident with that. Um, you, there's a a thing on the AAMC website where you can basically filter and look at what schools people got into with certain MCAT scores. So that was my first. Um, first stop um, and I kind of made like a reach um, and like a safety and like what's the on point one your target your target group um, I went to a school that did not really have great advising so this was all stuff that I came up with um, and I think because I didn't have an advisor I had to cast a really broad net and <laughs> um, Like, I applied to, like, the top schools in the country to, like, really small programs in the country. Um, And then I did all the secondaries I could, and I started the interview process. At the beginning of the interview process, I took every interview I got. But then once I started seeing the caliber of... And before I say this, like, any medical school in the country is going to be fine. Like, once you get into medical school, you're going to be a doctor. But once I started seeing more competitive programs reach out to me for interviews, then I knew I could drop my safeties. Cause now I was just like, this is unnecessary because I'm, it's just, it's too much money. Um, this isn't this is West bubble. I'm not gonna get down with the patient population. Like there's no reason for me to go through this. Um, so I think once I started getting interviews from like really competitive programs, then I could whittle it down and save myself a lot of money. That was my process of figuring out where I was interviewing. Was it ever
1: were there interviews that you're like, I don't got, I don't have it, I don't have the coin that I thought I would for this, or was it just like, oh, I gotta make it work when they invite me?
0: I I just made it work when mm. they invited me. Um, I just like when I was applied in medical school, I was like, this isn't the phase for me to make excuses for myself. Granted, I'm coming from a place where like, um, even though I don't my family's pretty broke like I I had a good job where I could pay for things and take time off and I also had savings that I could lean back on so that was the privilege that I had for myself um but like the moment I got an interview I just took the day and like I took the day off and I knew I was gonna have to pay for that plane ticket and I just did it on the spot um just because I felt like if I didn't do it somebody else would take it from under me and I couldn't I, I just couldn't let that happen.
1: How did you did you know about all these steps
0: when no. you were applying? Mm-mm. <laughs> Which is not helpful. <laughs> I think it's and and I think that's another thing when when I talk about the uh, the advantage of people who have family or parents in medicine, like knowing all of this ahead of time is going to help you tremendously. And I think even if if I did this over, I think even if my my undergrad didn't have the best um, advising surrounding medical school, I knew alums in medicine, so I should have used that as a resource to be like, "Hey, what should I expect for the next year?" Um, I literally just used blogs, just blogs and blogs and blogs to figure out this information.
1: Wow, okay, so okay, so you do the MCAT, you start applying you write the supplemental you get the interview um and then after the interview you're just that's the final step before you hear back and start mm-hmm. and so when so what was the what was the decision process for where you actually landed
0: um i um i was lucky in that my decision wasn't that hard because i found a school that had a lot of the things I was looking for in one I feel like a lot of the times decisions are hard when one school has half the things that other schools don't um but I went with my gut like I really liked the gut feeling that my school had um my interview process with my school wasn't like why did you take this class this year explained to me this research it was very much like yo what do you like to do for fun which I think was really telling for me because now I feel like you're invested in me as a human being not the stats that I can provide your school because at the end of the day if I've gotten to the point where I got an interview you've already said that my stats are fine so like why spend this time in an interview going through that um and I will always remember this one of my interviews was like yo what is your greatest weakness and I was very Maybe too honest. So I was like, I second guess myself at every turn, and he was just like, you know what? That will make you a better doctor because doctors that are overconfident are the ones that end up hurting their patients. And that's something that's always stuck with me. And when I when I was thinking about all the schools, like I thought about how that made me feel, and I don't know, it just it felt right. Um, my school is also on the borderline of one of the poorest zip codes and the richest zip codes in New York City. So that will, will also automatically diversify the patient population in a way that I was really interested in. My school also doesn't have a university attached to it, which means like all of the opportunities are to the medical students. Like I'm not fighting some senior in college for research. <laughs> Everything is is basically mine. Um, and my medical school is in no way perfect when it comes to um Thinking about racial disparities and really addressing it, but it's something that they did break, bring up in um, the interview day, which I think was helpful for me to see that even at least it's on their brain that it's something that needs to be addressed. Um, so I think all of those things put into one um, made my decision pretty easy.
1: Wow. And so like there is uh, I mean, I think now sort of with the rising of the public consciousness, there's more conversation about kind of like the ills of the histories of medicine against people of color, women of color, black people, black women, black gender nonconforming folks. Um, how do you like, where do you see yourself existing in that space? Or what are your thoughts on in terms of like your trajectory amidst all of that?
0: I think particularly as someone going into OBGYN, it's something that I, I've thought about when I am applying to residency and like what type of communities that I want to work work in. Um, I think in medical school, you can make a decision of at what part in the problem you want to, to tackle. Um, there are, are spaces in medical school where you can work at the policy level, you can tried to address things at the administration level like their OBGYN at our, my institution was very segregated um, and so we brought that up to the the um, hospital administration be like yo you can't be separating patients like this and they're getting very different care and so that was one way our school was addressing it. Me personally I I am looking into residency programs that have some component of social policy training for their residents and also residency programs that serves like specific um, populations. Um, I'm not really interested in serving patients who regardless are going to have a good outcome. You know what I'm saying? Like there are people like no matter where they go, their life has set up and their comorbidities or their, their, their medical history has set them up for winning. Like I want patients that The medical system has failed them and and i want to help fix that for them um i think most of my i i want to say a lot of my classmates particularly the ones going into some type of primary care are thinking about residency in that way and thinking about serving patient populations that are underserved um and and i think that has to be a very active decision um for all of us at some point um I don't know if I answer your question. I think it's I think the 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 longer I've been in medicine, the more complicated this question has felt. Because I feel like like all things with underrepresented folk, the level the issue is at every level. <laughs> um and it, and therefore it makes it very hard to hard to tackle. Because like I as a person can be like, I want to make sure you have access to these resources. But your insurance might limit you, and even if your insurance doesn't limit you, the policies of this hospital might limit you, and even if the policies of this particular hospital doesn't limit you, the policies by the state might limit you. So there, it just always feels like you're in this, this, this battle with not getting the best care for your patients. Um, I, I think often of this one patient I had, and she had really bad diabetes. Um, and it was completely uncontrolled. And so and as a medical student, you, you start to learn questions to ask, like, have you noticed any differences in your urination? Because diabetes can impact your kidneys and th- therefore impact urination. Have you noticed any change in your vision? Your eyes have really small vasculature and it can really ruin your vision. Um, have you noticed any numbness or tingling in your extremities? The, the diabetes is really toxic to your nerve ending. So you start to feel things and all of her answers were yes. like she had really bad diabetes but she couldn't do anything about it because her she got a divorce from her husband so therefore she was sharing insulin with her sister and she couldn't get insulin from the hospital because there was a policy about if you're partially insured you couldn't get something through the hospital but she was coming into the emergency room to get her supplemental insulin which legally she can't but then every single time she came into the emergency room we were billing her thousands of dollars so it's just like this whole thing is just up and it's like how do you even start to address it and it, sorry it personally angers me a lot (laughs) in case you couldn't tell
1: (laughs) no and I think that that's huge right is like oh that you think it's going to be straightforward like I think especially from coming from right where a lot of people can want to be a doctor as a child and it's like oh I want to help people and it's like, oh, you recognize, you start to sort of recognize all the systems that have implications in how you're able to help people and what help actually looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's literally, it's pervasive. It's a problem. Um, and I think sometimes, I think sometimes sometimes, Third year is the year where you're in the clinic. And I think third year is the first time you have to face that. And I think people's outlook on medicine really changes during third year because of that very fact. Like, you start to realize all... Like, you come in with this complex, like, I'm going to save people. And third year challenges the f- out of that because you're like, wait, there are any barriers before I can help people. And, like, I think it, it also makes me sad sometimes because you realize that a patient is in your office for like 10 minutes and there are so many things in their daily daily lives that impacts their health that I cannot change. Like if my patient comes in and he has housing insecurities. Like I can tell you to get your insulin, but you don't have the insurance to go pick it up. You don't have the refrigerator to hold it in. You don't have like a bathroom to give yourself the shot. Like there are all these things in your life that I can't fix. And so, how how am I in those those ten minutes going to help you help your health? <laughs> it, it it's just third year can feel very um, humbling, but sometimes in a very exhausting way.
1: Mm, it sounds like you're disillusioned by that
0: point. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: What were... So, right, also sort of thinking about just the experience of being in med school, what were some of the things that... Are there things that you wish you hadn't done or things you wish you had done earlier?
0: Hmm... Things I wish I had done. I think this is hard. I don't know if I would actually change this, but I think what I, I should have done was create more relationships with my classmates. Um, my school has 140 people. My, school, my class has 140 students and um, it's an even slip between men and women, 70, 70. Um, but my class has three Black women, um, which is wild to me. And um, I think eight Black men, um, which is interesting because there are statistically more Black women in medicine now than Black men. Um, and I, I don't think I spent enough time trying to make friends outside of that small black circle that is um and part of it felt like at the end of the day when i was in this very white institution hitting all of these barriers like i just wanted to run back to my black classmates because they would understand why i was so frustrated about all these like bad outcomes and all the systemic issues that exist um but i think networking is also important um, and um i think my white classmates also knew how to navigate medical school in a way that i didn't so that might have been helpful in the beginning um to really get the ins and outs of like how to study for this class you know what i'm saying like cuz they knew from their counterparts. so like that could have been a good resource for me um i this is something really small, but in medical school, we use this app called Anki. Have you ever heard of the word of Anki? No. Yeah, neither had I. But like, I remember my first month of medical school, everyone was like, Anki this, Anki that. And I was just like, I don't know what this is. And it turns out it's an app that helps. It's a, It's basically like um a, a flashcard app. So you How can you upload it? A-N-K-I. And so there are people have made decks of flashcards for different classes and you can download those flashcards so that you can study instead of making doing all the work to create those flashcards yourself and it's like that small thing makes a big difference right now I know I don't have to work as hard to like type all my notes (laughs) like I can just start the the process of of um studying so it's like that small thing I could have learn from my classmates to make my transition to medical school a little smoother than it 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 already it it wasn't at the beginning it would have made the transition a lot smoother um so I think making relationships out of the circles that I immediately felt comfortable in might have made the transition a little better um that being said like I think um Back to your question on, like, how I recharge myself. When I'm not in medical school, I'm not in medical school. So I've actively tried to keep friends that aren't aren't in medicine so that I can... My friends that aren't in medicine are a refuge to me. Um, so I haven't built a lot of friends in medicine because of that reason.
1: <laughs> Interesting. So if you're in medicine, y'all not cool like that. <laughs>
0: Like I have a couple, but I don't. I don't have like I don't go out with a squad of med students. Like that's just hasn't been my thing. Granted, there are people in my class that that have made that work for themselves, but I don't know. Also, three black women is tough, y'all. Three black women in a class of medical students is wild. Is that common? Um, I we are the only class since I've been in this school where that's been the truth and that's classes above me and below me like this is wild um no, it's, and also what's historically low in your purview in my school yeah it is historically no, low and i think what happened what happened was um i there was a couple of years back there was a class with one black man and so what they did is they focused all of their recruiting power to black men and therefore dropped the pendulum they dropped the ball on black women it's like they could only focus on one thing at once um and so the reason why that's weird is that there are just so many more black women entering medicine than men so it doesn't make sense that there are three black women versus eight black men (laughs) um and have you heard the statistic that there are just as many black men entering medical school now than 1960 no yeah so there are like no black men in medicine because the fact that it has not gone up since 1960 is awful and mind-blowing um Wait, has it not gone up, or has it been like low, some peaks, and then low again? Or it's been, been pretty stable since nineteen sixty. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's a big problem. Wow. Yeah.
1: So what? What did support? What has support looked like for you mm-hmm. in your sort of in your student in your
0: school med school journey? If you had any supports at all. Um, I. I think I've, I've been pretty supportive. The advisor I was matched with is actually a Black woman. She's an ophthalmologist. <laughs> um, and she's a really boss, boss Black woman. I think she was like one of the first Black female ophthalmologists, like New York Ironier, or like one of the really big ophthalmology programs in the country. Um, so she was really helpful in empowering me to try things that I, I would have limited myself and not gone for. Um and within the Center of Multicultural Affairs, I found like a uh, an an unofficial advisor, and she was also very helpful in connecting me with um other physicians, but also just like I really struggled with the fact that there were no black people in my year that i connected to connected with at like off bat um and she was like... Well, here are all the upper classmen here are all these other people that you can connect with and create community with. Um, so that was very helpful. Um, and then I during a third year, I had I met with the OBUIN advisor and she, let me tell you about a ride or die. That lady's a ride or die. <laughs> um, like I needed to switch my schedule for residency reasons and sis called her registrar was like you need to fix this on on her schedule and like she was i i actually can't think of a time in, in school where i've had such a, a hard advocate um so i think i've been pretty lucky on the advising and to be honest um once i knew who to go to and where they were i think i was pretty sad how did you know who to go to like what was that process of learning it um my advisor was handed to me. Angel was, um, because she's very, uh, hands on, on diversity, any diversity initiative for the whole hospital system. She was just like a figurehead. And at the beginning, she felt too big for me to even like be near. Um, but the upper class was like, no, she's very approachable. Just try Like, just, just give it a try. And now like, the other day I was having a crisis about residency and I texted her and she FaceTimed me. It's like, it's just that casual. Um, doctor, the doctor for the OBGYN also heard from upperclassmen and they were like, you know, she's tough at the beginning, but once you get her buy-in, she will fight for you. And that was the case. Um, so it goes back to my, like, you need to really connect with people who are a couple years ahead of you because they they are going to know how to, navigate the system because it it's not medicine is not something that has a well mapped plan for you like you have to map it out yourself which is unfortunate like in theory it sounds really well mapped up because obviously you do medical medical school for for a year then you do residency then you do fellowship then you're attending but there are so many nuances within that 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 you don't know of
1: interesting because I was going to ask um, and I'm still gonna ask, like, are there, are there templates like for your career? Like, are there like careers of like are there folks that you follow? Like, oh, I like their career path, or I like what they're doing. I want to do something similar or align with
0: what they're doing. Um, I don't think I've I've found one person where I was like, I want to be that. Like, I I have found a lot of people where there's a component of them that I really like, and I have attached myself to that. Um, And I think it's better that way. Just like finding bits and pieces of mentors and like people who are ahead of me, and roadmap it that way. Um, Sorry, can you repeat the question again? Sure. like, Like I'm missing a part of the answer.
1: Sure. So, is there any particular career path that you followed, or individuals'
0: career path that you followed? Um. No, <laughs> the answer is still no. no. Um, I think I think if you go into medical school and you've done a lot of shadowing and you know I want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon, you will find an advisor and the advisor will perfectly lay out what you need to do. You need to do research with this person. You need to do it this time of this year so that you can go to this conference this year and blah 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 blah. If you are that, that person, then I think you can enter medical school and have a well-thought-out plan. If you are me, <laughs> you have less of that because you're very much like, oh, I don't know. There are so many possibilities. Like, I'm going to try them all. So therefore, it's like a little harder. Um, I think the first few years of medical school are really stressful because medical school would be like, hey, this is your education. Just focus on your education and like see what you like. Just like fall into it, right? But there are certain specialties where you can't do that. You can't just walk, wake up during third year and be like, hmm, I want to be a neurosurgeon. You need to have been doing like neurosurgery research from the moment you walked in the door in medical mm-hmm. school. So that's where it's like, it kind of depends. Um, for OBGYN, that's less of the case. Like you can do research in OBGYN, but you can do, re- I did my research in neurology. um But it's like, as long as you're able to say that you did research, it's fine. Um, but I think certain specialties like neurosurgery, you need to have a roadmap pretty early on. Um, certain of the certain sur- surgical specialties, you need to know pretty early on. Dermatology, you can't just wake up one day and say you want to be a dermatologist. You can't wake up one day and say you want to be a plastic surgeon. Those you need to figure out really early on and create a roadmap for yourself during the first and second year of medical school, which is unfortunate because it's like, uh, you're giving advantage to people who have been exposed to medicine really early on and making them make really tough decisions really early on in their medical career. Wow.
1: So as a med student, like how is success defined versus how do you define success for yourself? And it may not be a versus, it might be This an is just you're asking
0: me that question what yeah you're asking me that question and i'm thinking of which one of my classmates would i say quote unquote is very successful and there isn't like one classmate where i was like that is a very successful person because i feel like the answer that's really complicated and it's really dependent on the goals that you've created for yourself um for me A really successful medical student is anyone who is able to digest large amounts of information that you give, that you receive, and you're able to apply it on the spot when you're on the floors. I think that is probably the most successful medical student. Um, But then that, that also feels so limited, right? Because a lot of my medical students have like extracurriculars that they're really passionate about research that they're passionate about. And so everyone has kind of made their version of success because at the end of the day, like we all are able to like, look at a chart and be like this person has a high blood pressure. Um, but it's just like, how invested are you in all the other parts in medicine? Um, like one of my friends, she's going into orthopedic surgeon and she's, this is brilliant, but like she she wakes up and reads medical journals. Like, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but I think that's what makes her successful. But I don't think that's what would make me successful. I think for me, I feel successful because I know one of my strengths and I'm not not to like, I don't know, boast about myself, but I know one of my strengths is making patients feel comfortable. And like, I can do that pretty easily with most patients, even like patients that other people find um, pretty difficult quote-unquote difficult and I think also me simply being in medical school is a success for me if that makes sense so I, I, I think the con the what it means to be a successful medical student is really complicated and it's really dependent on what your goals are for yourself sure
1: and it sounds at least like well I'm I'm assuming that in the first couple of years it's easier because it's like you have tests and right, like classroom focus so it's like okay you're successful if you're having these tests and right. not like dead right Like, right, sort of hit the mark but particularly you mentioned sort of your current job function is watching other people make sure that people stay alive so right. <laughs> what success in that I think sort of is relative in terms of the priorities of your training
0: yeah absolutely um, I feel pretty good with where I'm at to be <laughs> lit So how do you
1: sustain yourself? Like, talk about, like, actually, like, it sounds like it's an expensive process even to get to medical school, and we haven't, and I still want to go back to even in that trajectory you mentioned, um, boards, which we haven't talked about, but seems to be very important, but I'm also thinking about, um, right, like, it's already, the barrier of entry is high, in terms of financially. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, now you're on the other side. Like, what how lucrative is it? Not even necessarily how lucrative is it, but like as a med student, like how are you sustaining yourself? What is your lifestyle like? Like is it sort of ramen, not even like oh top ramen from the ramen shops, like is it like ramen from the like eight cent packages that you're cooking on your own? Um, is it like are you able to, right you said not necessarily time for vacation, but like how do you sustain yourself what's your lifestyle like and sort of how may like how does the finance work out if you're comfortable talking about that
0: yeah um i think so medical school is expensive because of you're basically paying to live because it's very I don't know anyone who is able to go to medical school and work at the same time so you have your tuition and you have your cost of living which is the school made a budget for you that includes your tuition your rent your books and they gave you a certain amount of money to pay for transportation and food for the year um how much of that you want to take out is up to you um but I, I like to eat. So I took out almost <laughs> the max, um, every year. Um, and, alone, and because,
1: or what are you taking out?
0: A loan. It is a loan. Um, but, um, I, I have some p- financial aid also, and some of my loans also don't accrue interest. So that's a way that like, I've been pretty lucky. Um, and financial aid is, um, not dependent on your income, but your parents' income. so even if you feel like you're broke when you're applying to medical school it's not about that it's about whether or not your parents are broke so that's something that i don't feel like enough people know about um and you have to yeah um and because they know you're not the one who's going to end up paying for medical school because you'll be in medical school they know the person the people who are going to be providing any financial support are your parents so therefore they use your parents taxes when you get your fafsa to figure out what you're gonna get on financial aid um and i mean in theory you could not give them your parents financial information but by doing that you're kind of admitting that your parents have money you know what i mean (laughs) so it's yeah
1: like it's like built
0: by omission exactly
1: it's like like, okay you get the default (laughs) okay
0: Um, so I've been pretty lucky in that respect. I think I'm pretty comfortable. Like I'm not going to the club. I'm not spending a lot of money. Um, for the majority of the semester, I'm okay. Those, those last couple of weeks, sometimes a little touch and go for me, (laughs) like towards the end of December, it was a little bit more ramen than the beginning, but like, I wouldn't say that I'm starving by any means. Um, uh, I think There are certain years that are more expensive than others because of boards, but that's put into the cost of living. So for example, step one, don't quote me on all these numbers, but it's like around at least $500. And so you have to pay for that. Step two is another couple hundred dollars. I'd say like $700. So you have to pay for that. You also have to pay for residency and apply like all those applications. This year wasn't that bad because everything is remote, but in a normal year, you would also have to um, budget for the cost of traveling to all the residency programs for interviews. Um, so those are like the the bigger costs that come within the years. Um, there used to be, up until this year, <laughs> there was a the step two CS, which is a, a board that focuses on your clinical skills. Um, the issue with that is that it was $1,300 Um, there were only a few sites around the country and you had to pay to fly to those. And then you had to pay for a hotel for that. So that was a more expensive test, but as of my class, it no longer exists. So you're welcome. Um, But I think other than that, those are pretty much all the expenses that I can think of. Honestly, all my money goes to eating and I'm okay with that. Um, Certainly if you go to school or if you choose to apply to school in New York city, most of the New York City programs come with their own housing, which is very helpful because they know rent is bananas. Um so I'm I live in a six bedroom apartment, which sounds disgusting, but I actually think it's okay and I only pay seven hundred dollars in rent. Um I think in I'm I think I'm on the luckier end. I can't I'm not really sure, but I'm gonna graduate with like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars in debt between medical school and undergrad. Well. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not but, a But what right would here. it
1: be? But like med school times four, what would what, what could it be?
0: It could be. So I think when I started medical school, one year full tuition without financial aid, without anything is about 75,000. This That's the cost of living. I think now that I'm a fourth year, you know how schools every year, they find a reason to make that shit more expensive. I think now it's closer to 90,000 per year which is insane (laughs) wow okay yes so that's why i'm like me coming out with 130 between undergrad and med school i feel okay like i don't feel sexy like if someone were forgive that i would be happy um (laughs) but like it is it's fine and also like for me like i plan on working in, under, in, like, an underrepresented community for the rest of my life. So, like, to some extent, it'll get forgiven after a couple of years. So it's, like, that's also, like, whatever. Um, I think if you work in a public institution, after 10 years, the remainder of your balance gets forgiven. So that's also something I think about and allows me to keep from going crazy. So as a med
1: student, like, are there... Common words, terms, things that sort of show up in your work or at the very least, if you want to take it another way, like a bit about what people should know to be able or what people should be able to do by this time in their med school journey.
0: I I think the goal of medical schools now, I don't know if that was always the case, Um, there are two things I think that are really important and it's evidence-based medicine and patient-centered care. Um, I think the the emphasis on evidence-based medicine has kind of always been there, but I think as physicians get older, they're less attuned to like the new advances in medicine or like the new ways we screen for things change. Like some years it's like screening for a colonoscopy every year, uh, every 10 years after 50, like things like that change and fluctuate. And so always making sure that you're up to date on the evidence-based medicine. When there's a new study coming out, making sure that you're validating that information to see if it is actually, if the results actually make sense and how that apl- applies to your patient population. Um, if like, the study had representation from all races or if it was all white men and like how to understand that and how to apply that to your day-to-day medicine. Um, I think medical school really tries to lay a foundation of knowledge. And then from now on in my medical career is making sure I know evidence-based medicine and knowing um, and keeping myself up to date on that. Patient-centered care, I feel like is something that is unfortunately kind of new in medicine. I think uh, before we used to be very centered on knowing as much as possible, but uh, creating relationships with our patients has kind of fluctuated. Um, And I think through the medical school admissions process, they're really focusing on people who want to give that patient-centered care and applying it to residency. There's also this emphasis on providing patient-centered care. And what patient-centered care is, is like making decisions that um, making decisions for the patient and with the patient's in the patient's best interest and not treating them like a random thing, but like addressing the whole personhood and seeing how, what you can do to address that. So what that might look like is, for example, of the woman who I told you with the diabetes in the emergency room, like yes prescribing her the diabetes but also understanding like she's going to need a referral for social work social work because yes you're going to give her the diabetes but she's going to be right back here next week and like that's the cost of the medical system which is like one way to think about it but also it's a cost to her because of her time and like a cost to her because of her health and so if if we address the person as a whole person and patient-centered care everyone's outcomes are better um so I think evidence-based medicine and patient-centered care are like the the buzzwords of medical school.
1: Mm, any sort of tips, resources, texts that you feel like are seminal or super important or um, would be good for folks to tap into?
0: Are these folks apply, like thinking about entering medicine, or are these people in medicine? Both all. Oh all of you both um, i think i i don't really think there is any text in particular that can pre- that will prepare you for applying into medicine Uh, I think there are several books that will help you understand the complexities of medicine and what it's like to provide care and like the limitations of a doctor and all those other things. There's a lot of literature. A lot of doctors have written books about um, like mortality and all these things that you're challenged with as a doctor. But in terms of like preparing yourself for medical school, I can't really think of any text that will prepare you. At the end of the day, it comes down to advising and networks, which is... I think somewhat unfortunate because advising and networks is so dependent of your circumstances and where you are in the country and who you're surrounded by. And it feels very subjective. Um, But I think just reaching out to people like doctors love to help future doctors. Um, Even if some people seem pretty rash, I think reaching out is really important. Um, The... The group that I shadowed when I was in college, ironically, this week, I texted slash emailed the group and was like, hey, like, I need advice for residency. And they were like, cool, just call us. And it's just like going back to that relationship I created, like, at this point, eight years ago is still something that I'm using um, and is really meaningful for me. So I think in medical school and to get into medical school. I ultimately think it comes down to advising and and networking. Um, I think that's good and and bad. Sure. And also, I just want to tell everyone, someone once told me this, and I think it's really important for anyone considering medicine. And I know it sounds like a huge burden, but the hardest part about becoming a doctor is getting into medical school, (laughs) which sounds ridiculous. And it's not to say that medical school is easy, but the system has made it so that the the narrowest entry point is getting into medical school once you get into medical school they try to keep you they're not trying to lose you anymore and so they'll invest a lot of resources into you so i think once you can get first of all don't doubt yourself and your ability to get into medical school but knowing that once you got into medical school there are a whole admissions group of people who thought you had it in you to go into medicine And you will make it like once you make it to that point you will make it no matter what um so don't let if i if anything i said was daunting (laughs) don't let that deter you it's like there there are safety nets in place um to keep you from falling sick thank you i was
1: gonna ask and my final question was gonna be is there anything i didn't ask you (laughs) That
0: you wanted to share, but it seems like you jumped the gun on that. <laughs> Tell me. I don't know. I feel like I didn't I I didn't realize how helpful that was until like now that I'm applying to residency. I was like, that person was right. The hardest part was getting into medical school. Cause like now it, it kind of is what it is. Like I'm gonna be a doctor or whatever. And there's also a joke, it's like, what do you call the doctor who graduated the bottom of his class in medical school? A doctor. Like it's just <laughs>
1: Wow, she raking out the medical jokes, y'all. <laughs> it's you will be okay. <laughs> she a student. She a student, but she a professional. You already know though. Wow. Okay. Um. So, what's the process? Can you talk quickly about the process of like residency, like how or like the applying to residency? Because that also seems like an important step in your med school journey right now. Um, what's mm. that like?
0: Uh. So, at the end of third year, you decide, but. What- um, specialty you're going to apply to um, some people choose multiple because sometimes it's really hard for people you can actually apply to more than one specialty if you're about that life and that coin um, and then there's something called a sub or a sub internship during fourth year and that is when you spend a month doing like pretending to be an intern an intern is the same thing as a first year resident you're pretending to be an intern for a month. So you're applying to residency and being a sub-I almost at the same time. Um, And then from like October, November-ish through the winter, you're doing residency interviews. This year it's been all remote. So it's basically all been Zoom. But in normal years, you're flying around the country um, interviewing with different programs. Um, And then around this time, you enter what is called the MATCH Uh, So what happens is that you rank all of your programs to one to whatever, um, based on which programs you like. And then the programs also rank the students one to whatever, based on all the students that they've interviewed. And there's an algorithm that matches you up. And so basically, at the end of the process, for me, it's on March 19th, there's something called Match Day. And you find out what the algorithm has decided (laughs) for you and where you're going to residency. Um, So that is is pretty intense <laughs>
1: wow i <laughs> um, feel like i've only heard of the algorithm more recently in terms of social media i didn't know it was <laughs> in medicine all this time
0: yep it, it is it decides your life so it's not like it's not like applying to medical school where you get a list of schools that you know accept and you and pick one no it is decided for you by the gods of the algorithm um so that is soon um how many residency programs you apply to depends on so many factors it depends on your current school your your just how competitive you are what specialty you are like if you're applying to internal medicine you will apply to a lot of programs if you're applying into something smaller like i don't know something more subspecialized so you will apply to less programs um OBGYNs for example most residency programs are somewhere around 6 people per year Versus internal medicine, they can go up to twenty people per year. So it really depends on on what um, specialty you're choosing. Um, but yeah, the process is almost over for me. So pray for me. Amen. You said amen. March
1: nineteenth.
0: March nineteenth. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, almost, almost
1: there. Clearly, <laughs> almost there. You, you, you've painted for us a long road, um, and we appreciate it. Ten years, just about since what starting undergrad, so. That's wild, and now you're here. So thank you. Of <laughs> course, I appreciate your time. This was incredible. Thanks for making me realize that it would have been too much for validating <laughs> that when you know you know. Don't
0: ignore the signs. Like don't ignore. Oh, the- to be fair, have <laughs> I used any any AP bio sh- that I've learned? Not really. <laughs> so to be fair, we could we would have loved to have you here. Uh,
1: I feel comfortable with my decisions, nonetheless.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank that, you. That's fair. <laughs>